It's Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. Items in the news that you might have missed. Europe Calling. So the rains have come. Our date for Europe calling today, the 12th of May 2023, and it's been chucking it down. Even now, as I'm looking out of the window, the mountain looks very ominous, grey, and I think more rain's on the way. So let's go west of where I am. Uh, travel about three quarters of an hour and we should find Terry and hopefully uh, maybe not quite as much water but then again everybody needs it at the moment so Terry good day to you and uh, what's your weather like cloudy uh, it's been quite cool today up uh, I went out I was uh, out on site just after seven this morning uh, up in Finistrat which is up in the mountains above Benidorm I have a project there to to sort out and I was very glad that I could rustle out the back of my car and I found it a jacket because that had to go on because it was about 13 degrees. Uh, and it's been like that all day, really. And then it started to rain around about two o'clock-ish, I suppose, um, which is very good because I was pumping eight, no, six, six lorry loads of concrete um, pumped onto a huge terrace. And that little bit of rain actually worked in my favour because concrete, doesn't like to set too fast. It likes to set a little bit slow. So uh, that's that's worked in my favour today. Great. Well, my wife looked at a guy with an umbrella in his hand today and uh, started querying whether or not he had his mind right. And I actually yeah. said, well, I did, I did see rain forecast, but then we were indoors for a while. By the time we came out, it was absolutely chucking it down. So um, a different sort of day. Here's our f- drizzle here. Yeah. A drizzle. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, here's our first one then. So there will be two different elections taking place in Spain on Sunday, May the 28th. And, of course, on the islands. And these are the precursors to a general election likely to be held on a Sunday in December this year. Every municipality that has its own council will be involved in the local elections, whilst the regional elections are staggered with just 13 of the autonomous communities up for grabs. These are Aragon, Asturias, the Balearic Islands, the Canary Islands, Cantabria, Castilla-La Mancha, Extremadura, Madrid, Murcia, Navarra-Rioja and Valencia. Uh, whilst elections will also take place in Ceuta and Melilla in the municipal elections. So 35 million, uh, 35.5 million voters will be able to vote, including 414,581 belonging to EU countries and countries with which Spain has signed a reciprocity agreement to exercise the right to active suffrage and who have expressed their intentions to vote in these elections. Uh, These, of course, include the UK passport holders resident in Spain. 
In the regional elections, 18.5 million voters will be able to vote, of which 1 million roughly are Spanish residents living abroad. And in broad terms, there are several political parties contesting the elections, ranging from far left to far right, with a number of small local candidates also taking part. Basically, the socialist PSOE, We'll be fighting it out with the Conservatives, the Partido Popular, a bit like the uh, UK really, and it is more than likely that the PP, the Conservatives, may have to form alliances with the more right-wing Vox, uh, whilst PSOE will try to obtain assistance from Podemos on the left and the less powerful centrist Ciudadanos. Okay, Terry, a lot of information to get through there, but um, obviously you're more in touch with the Spanish community than most people. And do you get the feeling that this is a pivotal election or is it just a chance again uh, for the parties who are not in favour, not in power, to actually have a little go at those who are currently trying to do what they can to get the economy right and other things as well? Uh, Is it like that in Spain? Well, yeah. Uh, Traditionally, uh, municipal elections just as in the UK, um, generally go against the government. Um, uh, Last week, was it, where the UK had their, not all, but a certain number of municipal elections, which uh, the Conservatives seem to have lost a number of councils, but that's nothing to do with being an MP. And nowhere near uh, as much a move to the left as Labour Party would have wanted in the UK. Now, the same thing's about to happen here in Spain. And again, the municipal, and I stress the word municipal elections, are being hijacked by the mainstream media as a a show of votation regarding the future main elections, which will be, as you quite rightly said, towards the end of the year. So it's become, untraditionally, shall I say, it's become very much like an American bandwagon election system over here at the minute. It's it's getting a little bit bit hyper, a little bit controversial, um, very much Trumpesque. Uh, interesting because I haven't seen that before in Spain before. Municipal elections have always been focused in the past on the municipality that you're in, and I must admit, talking to the locals in Altea, which is an extra along from me. And it is still uh, still very much that way in Altea. But I think in around the country, in, in, in other larger municipalities, it's becoming a as a as a dry run for the general election, and and people may may well tend to vote that way rather than voting for the councillors that run their town hall and affect themselves and affects them on a day to day basis, which is actually what the Brits just did in England, to be honest with you. But it's a bit ridiculous, really. But anyway, it's interesting. It is changing, the, the electoral system here. No, not the system's not changing, but the way people are voting is changing. And it'd be interesting to see actually what happens on the night, whether there is a rejection of the present government or it's purely on council basis, which it should be. If, if, if I, I mean, I will vote in, in this election. Um, I can only vote, obviously, it's, it's a council election, I can vote in that. I cannot vote in a general election. I'm even, I'm, I cannot vote in a British general election because I'm not allowed to, because I've been out of the country more than 15 years. So for God knows how many years, 
successive governments have said they will change that rule and still not happened. Anyway, I will be voting on the day in my town of Alphonse Del P for the councillor and council and mayor who I believe will stand up more for what I believe in. And being very means, do you believe the tissue allies are saying or not? Which is a bit sad, really, because before it was very much a local thing, but they're getting very political over here. Um, and, and, yeah, I'm interested to, uh, as a bystander as to see exactly how this one pans out. Well, I mean, really, the, the, um, the midterm elections, I suppose we could even refer to them as, um, they they always traditionally were the, the chance for those people who weren't in power to sort of at least um, get something out of being in politics and uh, try and make it look like they're doing something at local level. But um, yeah. with the um, Pedro Sanchez government being a left wing uh, or should we say socialist, so slightly left of centre, if you go by the old ways of doing things, yeah. Um, you know, I can remember the days of uh, Rajoy, and it, it seemed to be that he suddenly disappeared off the scene, and the PP or the Conservatives don't really seem to have done ever since that time very much at all. Now, have I got that right, or well, would you say Rajoy went back to his job working on the council in Santa Paula? Yes, I read the um, fish or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um... He was, he was never, to my mind, never respected as a premier of, 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 of Spain. Um, he was lacking in, in, in persona. Uh, what's that mean in Spanish? He <laughs> <laughs> was, was lacking as a person uh, uh, in, his, in, in uh, the way he put, he put himself forward. It was pretty much a void rather than a person. Wasn't um, really, not really charismatic, was he? Charismatic, there's it. Certainly, charismatic is not a word you could call him. Mm -hmm. And there were some very dubious decisions made by that government and uh, and since been blown out of the water regarding an awful lot of black money that was filtered into Swiss bank accounts to support the party um, and the, in their possibly devious uh, decisions, quote-unquote. Uh um, which was which really put Spanish politics into a bit of a, 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 a shadow. But it's always been known that Spanish politics at all levels, from council to 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 the premiership, um, is 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 based on basically on backhanders and bungs and God knows what else. <laughs> by 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 you buy your decisions that you want, and it's being accepted that way, and always has been. Um, and so it's I don't know. If, to my mind, it was a change for Spain to shake off that and come clean and become something uh, a bit pure and natural regarding politics. But I somehow think it's not going to happen. You know, I'll be interested to see. I'm, I'm interested to see how this one pans out. And then, of course, the, the elections at the end of the year. With the, um, I mean, he he does seem uh, reasonably competent, Sanchez. I've got to say, uh, as somebody that's neither left wing nor right wing, in my own uh, terms of looking at Spanish politics, um, you know, just learning all the time what what I can. Um, he does seem to be quite charismatic. Where Rajoy he's, certainly he's a wasn't. persona. There's no doubt about it. And I don't see anybody. And when we look at national. Politics now, obviously, 
I don't see anybody in the opposition who is has the charisma that he has. He's he's been groomed for the job. There's no doubt about it. He's been groomed for his looks. That's the first thing. And then they um, like most. I mean, you can't tell me like in the in the United States, and they can't tell me that an 84 year old man is running the United States. I think he's given his script, and uh, please read it out. Yes. So uh, I would imagine the same happens to uh, Sanchez, the, the the Premier of Spain. Uh, he he's got his script, and um, please read it out. But he's mm. the persona. Uh, yeah, he's a good-looking bloke, and he, he he wears his job, his mantle of power quite well. Uh, many of the decisions we're not all happy with, and the fact that he was had to go into partnership or into bed rather with an extreme left party. To have any to form any sort of government that he did not have a majority, so he's had to get into bed with an extreme left party. Yeah, which, like as you mentioned, is probably going to have to happen again. But the alternative being is that the PP, which is the equivalent of the Conservative Party, to to gain any sort of momentum, will have to get into bed with the extreme right wing parties, which is probably even worse. Yeah. Um, so interesting times, and the sad casualty in all this is that little party you mentioned in the middle. The centralist party, yeah. which we all hoped would gain power and bring some middle-of-the-road politics to Spain, neither left, neither right, let's just get on with the job. It never happened. And I don't see that in this way around either. It's a shame. It yeah. really is a shame. Well, yeah, well just as... Just just as you've got um, a lot of power women, if you like, in the uh, in the ranks of the likes of the Labour Party in, in the UK and a lot more now in the Conservatives, has the same seemed to have happened over the last few years here in Spain? Or is that, again, just my imagination? Oh, no. As soon, as soon as Pedro Sanchez formed his government after the last election, uh, realising he had to get into bed with the extreme left-wing party, exactly 50% of his cabinets were women. Now, I'm not being sexist here, but let me just throw into the pot the facts that he made his Minister of Defence a lady, but not just a lady, a heavily pregnant lady with hormones raging, who's theoretically got her fingers possibly hovering above buttons in a certain briefcase, as Minister of Defence. I don't think that was a good decision, to be honest with you. I really don't. Now, that, that might be sexist, but I don't think there's many women would argue with me on that one either. <laughs> that of all people to, to, to make the Minister of Defence um, uh, being a heavily pregnant woman, not a good idea at all. Yeah. Okay, well, look, uh, slightly similar, but uh, certainly you'll see where I'm coming from with this next one. Okay, so the BBC has branded Charles's coronation 
the strangest show in town. Now, this sparked a, bash, a backlash um, at Royal Correspondent Johnny Diamond, and it comes as the broadcasting big guns uh, go head-to-head or went head-to-head in a huge ratings war. In the BBC article, Diamond um, referenced the Australian singer-songwriter Nick Cave, who was going to attend today's event or the day's event for the bizarre, the uncanny, the stupefying, spectacular, the awe-inspiring, and then stated that the coronation uh, will be all of these things and more, headlining his article, The Strangest Show in Town. Well, I've got to say, I didn't see it as the strangest show in town. I thought it was a really well-presented occasion. You know my feelings about uh, Camilla. We'll probably talk about this in a minute. But as far as the actual pageantry and what I saw as a spectacle in front of me, I think you'd feel pretty proud of that yourself, wouldn't you? Or am I putting too many words in your head? No, no, no. I'm a royalist. You know that. Yeah. But I have to admit that the, the, the pageantry and the televised pageantry which we some of it we hadn't seen before um before 70 years ago the last coronation of queen elizabeth ii where when tv was a nine-inch screen in the corner of your living room if you're very very privileged to own one um in full color on your your large uh, led t- tv on your wall was a wonderful piece of pageantry and as only britain can do and i say that as only Britain can do. And to see the likes of, for instance, Penny Bordens, I never expected to see Penny Bordens in the, in, the, in, in, in Westminster Abbey. But God bless her, she was there as sword bearer with a very large, very heavy sword uh, uh, to start with, and then a few other swords in between, and doing an absolutely wonderful job. Um, a wonderful job. That, that, is, that has done so much for her standing. Uh, and future career, hopefully. Uh, she showed herself um, as being a true professional to what she was doing. Uh, anyway, now the pageantry, uh, etc., was wonderful. It was sad that the fly came, it was over with the weather and the clouds. Yeah. Uh, diminished the fly, fly out, the flyover that, uh, that normally happens at these things. But um, the, the, the hundreds of thousands of people lining the, the streets of, 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 of London to witness at first hand something that they may not see again for quite a long while. Um, depending, he's 70 odd. Um, Prince William's in the, uh, will be the next one that, you know, Mark could be 20, 30 years' time, you never know. Yeah. But anyway, it's going to be a little while. Well, maybe Prince William may not want all this pageantry. I've got a feeling he won't. I think he's going to be a, a king for the people rather than a king for pageantry. But we needed that pageantry. Uh, it, it was so good to show off what we can do. And I'm so pleased that the police um, enacted their newly given laws the day before, literally, um, to make sure there was no disturbance on the day of coronation um, for the um, the whole thing, because it would be, be a spectacle ruined by a handful of people. If you start getting people running in and glue themselves to horses, glue themselves to the road, setting off alarms and God knows what else, just to get their two minutes of fame. Um, I'm so glad that the police did that. Now, there's an awful lot of uproar about that, obviously, the powers that the police had 
Now, to be honest with you, I'll either go on record as saying I don't really care of the powers that the police had. I think on the day they did a superb job and removed possible elements that were possibly going to cause a fracas or publicity stunts, whatever, because why wouldn't they? Because they've been doing that for years now. So why would you not believe that when the eyes of the world were focused on London and King Charles III, that they would not carry out the same type of, 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 of fracas that they normally do? And I'm pleased that the police did. Yeah, there were a few errors um, perpetrated by the police, but listen, at the end of the day, it works. And I'll yeah. take my cap off to the police and say thank you very much. But what I always say, will always also say, is that having enacted these new powers that the police have been given, I think maybe they should get toned down a little bit. Because uh, when you read into the powers that they can do, uh, basically me and you, or maybe not me and you, or me and my wife walking down the street arm in arm, is a reason to be locked up by the police. Because the fact that we've locked arms could mean that we are heading for some sort of disruption, uh, civil disruption. And they would be quite in their right to arrest myself and my wife and throw us in a cell for the night until we sort this out. Mm. So I think that's a little bit over the top. But if we can stop people from gluing themselves to the road and disrupting traffic and, and has cost lives because they've stopped ambulances getting through, people climbing onto gantries over motorways, etc., etc., etc. This handful of anoraks people, they're complete anoraks. They're, they're always the same people, if you look. Yeah. Should be, should be and should feel the full weight of the law and imprisonment. And, uh, and that be the end of it. So but I do believe that the laws that were passed in a rather large hurry the day before the coronation maybe need tweaking back a little bit. Yeah. OK, well, look, going back to the uh, articles that I picked out of the many articles that have been written about the coronation. Um, one here was saying, after all, the Queen never made her beloved husband, Prince Philip, our king. And while it's true she was clear, Camilla should be formally made Queen Consort, a generous uh, gesture given Her Majesty once referred to her as that wicked woman. Uh, Charles has gone one step further and declared her Queen. Well, to be fair, Camilla never asked for this honour, but more importantly, nor did the British public. And like millions of loyal monarchists, I wish King Charles and Camilla well, but why did he have to overreach uh, with Camilla when so many of us still have misgivings about her? So let's address that point first. Um, did you think, really, he would have been better advised to keep her as the Queen Consort? Yes, I have to be honest. Yes, um, it did rankle with me, the fact that she was proclaimed or anointed uh, queen. Um, only because it doesn't sit right with me. But having said that, if you're a king, what is your wife? She's a queen. Now, regarding Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, uh, him, in those days him to become king would have elevated him above the queen in the eyes of the public uh, in as much that in those days a king carried more weight than a queen yeah uh so i think that would, would have was the reason at the time the, there wasn't the sexual equality that there is now so 
moving that forward to, to last week, I can understand King Charles III making Camilla his queen, though on a personal basis. I must admit, I agree with you, that maybe Queen Consort would have been a better decision and probably a more popular decision. But he, he is in actual fact right. You can't knock him. He's right for what he's done. But we're all a little bit... She's a commoner. And I, I use that word with the greatest of respect. Um, she is a commoner as such. And to be made queen um, rankles a little bit because you think, well, queens are always princesses. And she wasn't, was she? She never no. was Princess Camilla. No. Um, but likewise, uh, when Charles leaves this, this mortal coil and his son William takes the crown, his wife will be known as Queen, for sure. She's also a commoner. Um, but she's the Princess of Wales. There's a slight difference there in my mind. Yeah. She, it's the Prince and Princess of Wales who are moving up to be King and Queen uh, of Great Britain. And that would sit better, though I do believe, I do believe that Prince William will tone down the whole thing. Uh, I'm not so sure he'll tone it down to European methods like, like in, in Holland, where it's completely, um, you know, go down the town hall and swear your allegiance. It's and put a decent suit on. Uh, that's it. Um, I think it, it would, he it, it, it will. There'll be a certain amount of pageantry, but very little. I think Prince William will be a king of the people and his wife will be a queen of the people. And it needs to be. It needs to be brought down to another level that the people, which is you and me, can accept uh, the pair of them um, at the rank that we're giving them and the weight of the rank that we're giving them. And I think they will be able to carry it off much better than Charles and Camilla. Um, but I do believe that William will will tone down the whole thing. Okay. Um, to a smaller to a smaller variety of pageantry. I've got another interesting. Uh, well, I think you'll find this interesting as we look at uh, something related, but not exactly the same. Here we go. Okay, so it was written, and it's the way it's been written, written that I wanted to really discuss. He may have been sitting two rows behind his brother, but that didn't stop Prince Harry from giving his brother William a thunderous look this morning, according to one expert. The two brothers found themselves reunited for the coronation of their father at Westminster Abbey and it seems the Duke of Sussex couldn't hide his feelings. In one photo, Harry, 38, can be seen staring at the direction of his brother with body language expert Judy James explaining how the prince might be feeling. Speaking to a magazine called Fabulous, she says, uh, despite his act of bravado, there were some telling moments and expressions from Harry, like this pensive one when he seemed to glance across at William. 
William is clearly not about to look back here, and Harry's severe side-eye glance suggests he's sneaking this thunderous look almost unintentionally. When we tell ourselves not to do something, the brain only tends us to tell us to hear the suggestion without processing the don't command, suggesting the more Harry was telling himself not to look across at his brother, the more he couldn't stop. Now, uh, the reason why I wanted to discuss this with you is is we've got these body language experts and yet anybody who's been anywhere near this um, subject will know that you can completely get things wrong um, and it's the same when we're watching some animals you, you know you'll get a good idea but you don't necessarily get totally the right idea and um, I must admit I did think it took quite a lot of courage for Harry to turn up at the um, coronation and then do what he did, which is to get away without creating any sort of disturbance. Um, I think that that bit of it went a lot better than I uh, suspected it could have gone. Um, and yet, you know, we've got to have this thing in the paper drumming it all up, although it didn't even happen. So I don't know whether or not you picked that up about some of the, the commentators and some of the articles that had been written. Oh, I hadn't heard that particular article, to be honest with you, about the uh, body language expert. Um, but there's one thing I always think of when you come to experts, Vince, is that an X is a has-been and a spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> now, anybody can class themselves as being an expert. I, of course, am an expert on most things, as you well know. That's why you talk to me. <laughs> and, and I accept that privilege. And, but the, uh, it is very obvious to me that people, there are people in this world who will put themselves out to make any statements on the basis that they are a body language expert because it suits the newspaper. Because the newspaper says that Fred Smith, the body language expert, has picked up that during the WhatsApp that... Uh, Prince Harry, blah, 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 blah. Now, all I saw, I felt very sorry for Prince Harry, really, mm. um, sitting in the third row, sat behind uh, his aunt's huge hat with a big feather. Yes, so, yes. <laughs> um, and I had the greatest respect for the lad when I found out afterwards that he left the, uh, the, the Westminster Abbey and basically went straight to the airport and went back to his, his son's birthday party in California. Yeah. Now, that says to me an awful lot more uh, about Harry than we've been led to believe. He made the effort to come to his father's coronation, knowing full well that he would be shunned, A, maybe by his family, yeah. B, certainly by the public. Um, probably got no time for the bloke. And, and me neither. It's a shame. I've always respected the lad. But you don't wash your dirty linen in public. No. You don't spend years saying how you demand your privacy but you're demanding your privacy by going every chat show you can think of and writing books and making netflix films tell me where the privacy is there or is it the money m-o-n-e-y five less a word it's the money and uh, I, I i'm sad that he he's gone down that, to that level um i can only assume it's his his new bride and maybe one day we're all hoping He'll, he'll learn the, the lessons um, from what he's done and realise what he's done and realise how patient his family have been with him and realise how good his father's been with him. Because most fathers are going, listen, pal, 
do not darken my doorstep again. I don't want to see you. But no, his father sent him an invite to his coronation, which he accepted. I accept that. And the lad's gone up a few points. Uh, Prince Harry's gone up a few points. King Charles went up a lot more points in doing that. I'd, I'd be struggling myself to do that, to be honest with you. Yeah. But uh, I think I think King Charles is going to surprise us all. Uh, um, he's always been, to me personally, the... Uh, oh, here he is, Prince Charles, uh, Prince of Wales, talking a load of crap as usual. What, what planet is he living on? He's not in such a reality. He's no idea about what's happening in this world. And we all got it wrong, didn't we? Because when it came to climate change, he was the only one. And he's been at this for years about climate change. And all of a sudden, the world's going, hey, hang on a minute, there's climate change. Now, what, for every reason that it is happening, there is climate change. There has always been climate change. Let's not get that one wrong. But we, as populate, populating this planet, are not doing ourselves any favour the way we're living regarding climate change. And he's, he's seen that right from the beginning. And he's not the bloke who's going to turn around and say to you, look, listen to me, I told you so all those years ago. He'll never do that. So I think we're in for a really good monarchy. And I think we're in for a really good monarchy after this one. So I think that the, the monarchy of Britain is in really good hands at the minute. Really good hands. Okay. It's just a shame that we don't, we don't behave ourselves. I must admit, there is another way that you could look at this, which is basically... Uh, Charles has been uh, going on about the climate change for a long time when realistically most people should know that whatever the sun does and whatever the moon does and whatever the earth does and the other planets, you and I and nobody else can affect it. Whatever is maybe making this particular planet uh, have certain things that they can blame on climate change, which, which I think I've just identified we can't, um, then if you look at the minuscule part of this exercise that Britain actually uh, can affect and then look at the bigger countries like the Chinas and the Indias and Brazils and all the other huge countries and obviously the United States um, with the pollution and everything else, there is something intrinsically doesn't make sense. Whether or not Prince Charles, uh, King Charles now, uh, maybe uh, got the right bandwagon to climb on. I don't think really anybody could have ever changed the climate that we're existing today. I really just don't think that, Terry. So No, 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 I, I agree entirely. We, we cannot change the, 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 the climate change that's happening. Climate change has happened throughout history and will carry on happening throughout history. We haven't got any videos of what happened in history. We haven't, we've got very few photographs of what happened in history because photo, photographic material has only been around about 100 years, 130 years or something. But we do have skillful artists who painted history. And when you see uh, the artistry of the Thames frozen over and people skating on it and people holding markets on the River Thames in London, then you, you think, oh, how did that happen? Well, because there was a time when the Thames froze over. Yeah. And, uh, and in other words, it can happen again. Now, we're looking at something completely different at the moment. We're looking at climate change where things are heating up in general. Um, and we believe, we know that the fact that 
certain uh, what they call greenhouse gases exaggerate that heating up. It destroys the atmosphere, that curious, wonderful atmosphere that envelops the, the earth and stops those deadly sun rays from wiping us out off the planet. Because without the atmosphere, we, we wouldn't be here. And if the atmosphere disappeared tomorrow, we would be dead in days, gone. The, the, the fierce sunlight would just kill us. And it's the atmosphere, that it's that mantle that protects us. And it's uh, at the thinnest end of the, the, the North Pole, for instance, that people marvel about the, the northern lights. Well, that's where you see where, where the, the rays are getting in and diffused by the atmosphere at, at a much lower angle. But it's, it's, it's so... Um, it, it is... I, I poo-pooed a lot of this right at the very beginning. But I have to agree with, agree with it now that um, the way we live is affecting. Now, we cannot change it. It doesn't matter that my car is going to be obsolete in Spain. I won't be able to give it away in 10 years' time. I'll just have to chuck it and scrap it. No, I can't do that either. I have to pay for it to be disposed correctly because it's a diesel car. Um, it's, that's not going to stop it happening. But if we can actually slow it down a little bit, and you know what happens, Vince, in this world when, uh, sadly, unfortunately, when you have a war, uh, technology whizzes, whizzes through at a rate of knots. Yeah. Uh, everybody starts to search for solutions for whatever. And the, the amount of, 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 of the leap forward that, the, for instance, the Second World War made um, to, to us all but was absolutely tremendous. Um, and, and, and the space race was absolutely tremendous. So if we can buy a little bit of time, that the boffins of this world can start inventing something to protect us from climate change, then that's good. Now, everything we can do to help that, I'm in favour of. OK. Um, but uh, it all remains to be seen. Who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong? OK, I'm going to give you something totally different just to lighten the load for a minute or two um i hope you saw this but uh, whichever way our listeners might not have seen it okay so we're talking rugby league believe it or not and um the french have a side called the Catalan Dragons mm. and they were hosting the English team St Helens who are very very uh, original members of the rugby league um, at the Stade Gilbert Brutus in Perpignan southern France uh, this was a super league clash and it was Friday night of last week and three hefty bulls were paraded around the field in a pre-match lap of honour intended to celebrate the quality of beef in the region, uh, which is actually fantastic. And it's an idea that was cooked up uh, by the Catalan's owner, Bernard Guache, the head of a local meat processing company. So, as again, you always say, follow the money. That's where the money was going. <laughs> um, stunning footage was what I saw. And I don't know if you saw it. It had been released on social media. And it showed that one of the bulls shook itself loose from its handler, dragging the unfortunate man along the ground uh, before charging around the field. Now, that was bad enough. But the players were warming up on the pitch. 
and many of them were wearing red training shirts. So you know where this one's going with the bulls and the colour red. Yeah. Um, they quickly abandoned their drills and scattered for cover, uh, dropping the balls behind them and sprinting away to escape. So the first question is, did you see that? No. But did you know that bulls are colourblind? Well, yeah, funny enough. Uh, you and know, do you know why the capes are red? Uh, well, they follow the cape, don't they? It's a training thing, isn't it? Well, but the capes are red, so it doesn't show the blood and the gore. Okay. Simple as that. Bulls are colourblind. They don't follow red. They follow movement. Uh, they, don't, they don't follow red. The, 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 bull, the capes are red because it doesn't show all the blood and the gore that's, uh, that gets on, on the cape as it passes over the bull. Right. So the, the old phrase of, oh, well, that's a red flag to a bull. <laughs> uh, a bull would be quite astonished to know that. He doesn't know what a red flag is. <laughs> so so uh, it's a bit of hype, I think, really, that one. But what the hell are you doing letting bulls out on a, on a sports pitch, for well, God's sake? Well, that's exactly <laughs> what, what I wanted to discuss with you, because quite Bulls frankly... Bulls are killers. They're, 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 they're bred, they're certainly they're, they're fighting bulls. Well, they're bred well, to kill. That's their, that's their job. We have this um, tradition here, which I certainly don't understand, uh, which is basically to either torment bulls or have them running at you and then stepping out the way so they'll maybe jump over the cliff and, you know, uh, uh, candles attached to the bull's uh, horns yeah. and a yeah. lot. Why is the bull treated this way why don't they just let the bull well, it's, live it's, a, it's probably the powerfulest animal in spain isn't it yeah. especially when you're talking about um fighting bulls and they are fighting bulls yes they are bred they are bred in special circumstances that they they never see a person on two legs so that when they enter the uh, a bull ring they've never seen anybody on two legs so when there's a guy there with a cape in front of him all that can see is a head and the cape being the body and they assume that's another animal. And that's why they go, they follow the cape. As the, 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 the matador and the torridor move the cape, it's to divert the, the bull away from their body. He's not going to attack their body because he doesn't see their body. All he sees is a head and, and the body being the cape. So the cape gets moved and the body follows, the, the bull follows the cape because he believes it's the body of the, the animal in front of him. He's got no idea what a matador is or a torridor is, but he's about to find out very shortly. Um, uh, I like bullfighting, and I know it's very gory, but a bullfighting done properly, I like. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate the skills of all concerned, the matadors, the torridors, are the guys that warm up the bull in the first place to, before the matador comes in. Their job is to, to work the bull to see if he's got any and it'll telltale quirks or movements that the matador should know about, um, and the, the the picador and the rest of it. I, I, if if you read up about bullfighting, it, it becomes an interesting spectacular. I know it's gory. I know. And I know at the end of the day, there's only going to be one winner. But, you know, when I have that stake on my plate tonight, there's only been one winner in that event as well. Yeah. And I like to think that the bull concerned with the stake on my plate he didn't get a fighting chance. This guy did, and he's been he's been brought up and bred in, in perfect solitude with his mates, uh, not knowing anything else but a, a healthy, wonderful diet because he's a fantastic, you know, close on a ton, muscular specimen, uh, a fighting bull who will kill you. 
um, as opposed to the the poor little bloody cow that's been slaughtered to put that steak on my plate mm. with a bolt in its head. Yeah, neither is nice to think about. No, but you know, I like my meat. I like I like my chicken. I like my lamb. I like my fish, and I like my meat. And I'm very sorry that animals die for me to enjoy my food, but you know, they always have done. Yeah, and that's the way it is. I uh, I taught English to uh, a young lady who was going to be a female bullfighter and um, she took me up to see the bullfighting school in Valencia and you know uh, you can learn a lot uh, as you've outlined um, about bullfighting by not just taking the hysteria of one side as opposed to um, you know we did think that it was all going to die out it doesn't appear to be dying out in the slightest for me. Um, No when you mentioned the the Barcelona uh, I mean that it was banned up there I remember going up there and and the famous Plata de Toros became a, a shopping precinct uh, they gutted it completely, left the facade, and it became a, a, a shopping precinct, a mall, shopping mall, we call it nowadays. Yeah. Um, but then, then the news came that bullfighting has been brought is is no longer illegal, and it can be brought back in. And the last thing I heard, Catalonia were going to start doing it again. I didn't realise they start doing it again by bringing out the bulls onto a rugby pitch. <laughs> But, uh, well, mind you, that was in that was in France. That was in France. Don't forget Perpignan. All oh, right. So That's only just over the border. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, but in Perpignan, now you see the French fight bulls differently. They don't fight the bull. They, they have um, like rosettes between the horns, and your job is to leap over the bull in, a, in, as, in as a spectacular manner as possible, with like a comb combed hook in your fingers, to snatch the rosette. From between the bull's horns and 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 survive it, um, it's very spectacular. Uh, now I must admit that form of bullfighting, I find very pleasant because I know there won't be anybody dead at the end of the day unless it's a, a French toreador, um, which fair enough. But it's the, the bull's going to survive. The bull doesn't get killed uh, in, in, in on the French way of doing things. But anyway, yeah, it's um, interesting. I didn't realise that the and the chief sponsors was uh, uh, was involved in the in 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 the in the bull trade, shall we say, in the meat trade. Yeah, it just shows you, doesn't it? As it you makes say, sense though, didn't it? Obviously, uh, exactly. And and as you're always saying, you know, follow the money. Um, mm. Okay, I've got one which again uh, I was going to do this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I I went I went to sort of see would things die down a bit, and you'll probably find that they have done. Um, let's just do it anyway. Here it comes. Okay, this was a story that caught my eye, and it was about a paedophile who taught at Boris Johnson's former school, and he'd been allowed to let his council flat uh, while he was serving a 12-year sentence for child sex offences. Martin Haig was a 73-year-old, jailed in 2017 for 11 offences against four boys as young as seven, while teaching at the £8,000 a year Ashdown House during the 1970s. He was also convicted of possessing indecent images of children, and despite being jailed, he was allowed to keep his hold of uh, the £270,000 worth two-bedroom flat in Brighton for the six years he was in prison. He was even given permission to choose who he would sublet the sixth-floor flat with a balcony and see views to as long as the rent was paid. 
He said the, uh, further on, he said the council allowed this despite tenants being banned from using their homes for criminal activity, moving house or subletting their property. Neighbours complained several times about the matter, but say their appeals were ignored. Uh, now then, Haig, who is registered blind, is living back in the property following his release from Layhill Prison in Gloucestershire. Speaking to a reporter from the um, flat, sorry, the paedophile denied subletting the property and said he had not uh, said he had paid the rent himself while he was behind bars. He said, when I was being sent down, I made the housing authority aware of my sentence and, because of my disability, they agreed I would be allowed to maintain the flat provided I paid the rent. I allowed a person I've known for almost 30 years to stop here whilst I was in prison. I paid for it out of my own private money. I've done my time. Brighton and Hove City Council said they would not comment on individual cases. But in a statement, they said, in general terms, a prison sentence doesn't automatically bring a secure tenancy to an end. Legally speaking, there is no realistic chance of council succeeding with possession proceedings in instances where offences were committed outside of the area a very long time ago before the start of a tenancy. OK, I suppose really what the um, the uh, this article was asking me to think about was um, whether somebody who has been... Uh, put in jail for a particular offence, if they've got property and they can make property, um, make capital out of the property being let, should that be allowed? Uh, I found it very difficult to really think that they shouldn't be allowed to keep the property. I, I agree with you, yeah. Uh, but when you first mentioned it, I thought, well, that's strange. Why should he profit from being in prison? But why shouldn't he? Uh, if he, this has been set up beforehand, then why shouldn't he? Um, what should be done, um, which is very rarely is done, is that punishment should fit the crime, but should also fit the individual. It's no good, for instance, uh, this week, uh, um, finding, finding, um, issuing a claim against Donald Trump for basically, rather than rape, attempted rape and sexually molesting a woman for $5 million. Now, $5 million is a hell of a lot of money in anybody's, what's it? But I think when you're Donald Trump, $5 million is rattling around the bottom of your left-hand pocket somewhere. So it doesn't fit the crime. Um, so on that point, I believe that all penal uh, or penalties should be the crime and the individual uh, and regarding this guy in question i don't know his his financial circumstances but should not have uh, been monetary compensation made towards the individuals concerned and and looking into that the judge can see well you are making a profit by subletting your premises your apartment whatever and that money should go towards compensating the people that you've abused. I would have thought would have been a more fitting um, penalty. See the, um, see the and, thing... And, and should always be that one. Th the I thing... mean, if, if, if you 
Uh, people get a, a speeding fine. You know, you get £100 speed. I don't know what a speeding fine. I've no idea. As if I've never had one. £100 speeding fine. Um, irrespective of whether you're a multi-millionaire or you're, you're on the dole. And I think it should reflect your 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 status in society. Is that if you can afford it, then you should pay a lot more. And we would all be better off for it. Spread it around a little bit. Could a similar argument then be put forward that the likes of Abramovich really should have been allowed to keep the Chelsea Football Club? I, I don't see why Abramovich should not keep the Chelsea Football Club. What the hell has that got to do with, with a war in Ukraine? Yeah. yeah. Got... What's that got to do with the Russian government? It's putting political pressure on or pressure politically on individuals who come from a certain country but that opens the door for an awful lot of things there's an awful lot of bad things done in saudi arabia but i don't see any sort of you know penalties being issued there regarding people owning manchester city football club yes. and newcastle united football club etc etc that doesn't seem to happen does it so i was most surprised when abramovich was um basically had the club taken off him. Um, I don't think that was fair at all. I have no idea of his, his personal political alliances. I can only assume that the fact that he's still living and drawing breath that maybe he does support Putin, because anybody who doesn't seems to find a short end of a rope somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was surprised when I remember. Mm. And, and to be honest with you, I was slightly disgusted that that had happened to somebody who poured so much of his own money into a club uh, to the benefit of the club and the supporters. And let's be honest, since he's left, there are, there are only really a few games away from being relegated in reality. Mm. The season, if it had been chucked out before, then uh, then the things might have been a different matter for, for, for Chelsea. Yeah. yeah I'm, I've I'm, no I'm, idea why that. I've, 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 I do not see the reason why Abramovich had to... To lose the club, and we've never spoken about this before, so I'm glad we we think similarly about that. I want to try and get one last one in, Terry, which is again just something that um, I, I I didn't get time to discuss with you over th- other weeks. Uh, this was an article about general uh, Generation Zs and millennials, um, and they were saying they don't want to work because they're too busy living their lives. This was according to one young woman who was claiming the older generations are the ones who don't have their priorities straight. Uh, This particular uh, person, Demi Kotsoris, claimed that older people have to go through a life-changing event before they're willing to put themselves first, while youngsters are simply learning from their mistakes. She's tired of older generations berating young people for their lacklustre work ethic. Older generations are so confused about why we don't want to work hard anymore or prioritise our careers, she said. Now, uh, I looked at the comments underneath and there was one that I thought uh, was interesting. What a load of tosh. In boomer days, when you worked hard, you got a pay rise and or a promotion. These days, hard work is rewarded with more work. Companies will fire you at the drop of a hat, but expect you to give two months' notice if you choose to have. Uh, sorry, choose to leave. Companies demand complete loyalty from employees, but no longer have any respect for those employees. Bosses are earning more and more, 
and staff are earning less. That's why people, quite rightly, don't want to work. And then another com comment um, from the estate says, wonder what happens to the world when this generation lo no longer has um, doctors, pilots, engineers, etc. They are all hard-working jobs you can't get good at part-time. Life is going to suck when there are no more people motivated enough to grow food or run the water stations. So, um, interesting food for thought. What do you make of that? Oh, I agree with you. I've got a case in question at the moment. A very good friend of mine, who I don't want to mention his names, but he's worked for a, a large company, a big company, uh, 30 odd years of his life. Um, it was called out, uh, invariably worked six or even seven days a week. He was called out, he was the go-to man for any emergency in the company. And in later years, he became ill uh, to the point that he, he couldn't work anymore. And he's been on, on basically on the six since then. He's now reached retirement age and his company has thrown him to the wolves. Uh, they don't want to know. Uh, not even a, you know, not even not even he's a gold watch, not even a shake of a hand, not even come in and say goodbye to your workmates, nothing, whatsoever. So when you mentioned um, that particular scene of of of, of companies um, not even thinking about their employees anymore, that my friend big case immediately came to mind. So I have to think, this must be happening on a wider scale. This would never happen. When I was uh, working in the UK, I'm going back 50 years, Mike. When I was working in the UK, that would never happen. There was always a big leaving do, and everyone thought the world of somebody who retired and the rest of it. But he's been thrown to the dogs. Literally, he's still not well. He still can't work. He couldn't work. Uh, but he, he has been thrown to the dogs. And there doesn't seem to be any, any way that his company um, are going to address the, his situation. He's now retirement age, so all he can get is his two-bob pension. Um, but there's nothing for him. There's no other care, even though he would have been paying into their system of um, um, uh, more, uh, uh, well, system of, of, of a pension type of system throughout his career there, um, which you, you, we were told you had to pay into. Where it appears that they can work the, 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 the clause four paragraph C that says clearly when you reach retirement age, you get jack shit and you're thrown to the wolves. And I think it's absolutely diabolical. And um, I'm hoping to work a bit closer with him and try and get him a solution for him because I really don't think that's very nice at all. I thought this was until today when you've just spoken a one off case. Yeah. But what you're talking about is that maybe this is not a one-off case. Maybe this is something that's happening on a more regular basis. Well, it it, it fueled the thought in my um, mind that you know I've I've believed for a long, long time that the Chinese communist ideal have managed to get into the work ethic and give it a damn good shaking up. And really, it's it, it does make you wonder. Um, whether or not some of these people that treat a good worker in that respect are sort of complicit to that idea that I've just put forward, because it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense when you've had somebody that no, worked I, well. I agree. I mean, I, I I grew up 
uh, on the basis that, you know, when the bloke did his 40-odd years and he's retiring and there was a, on a Friday afternoon, we'd all be called round to the office and have a, a beer with him and uh, drink his health and wish him all the best and the company would look after him, present him with a gold watch, etc., etc. I thought, well, this is, this, is your, this is your payback for being loyal to the company. Yeah. Well, this guy has been more than loyal to his company. He's always done all the overtime that, that was ever necessary. He was called out for every emergency that, that, was, that appeared because he, he would always willingly go. He was, he was obviously the top of the list because he was a bloke who would always go and sort the emergency out. Yeah. And yet when he became ill that he couldn't work and then reached, reached retirement age, they just thrown him to the bloody wolves. It's, it's, I'm really, I'm shocked by it. I mean, I'm, it. I'm hoping, to, I'm quite happy to on his behalf to take it a bit further um, because I think this should have the publicity that it rightly deserves. But Vince, I'm very quickly realising that Sadly, in this world, the power is in very few hands. Yeah. That instead of being a million companies out there employing people, there's maybe only 10,000 companies employing people or less. Yeah. Because they've all become conglomerates and, uh, and partnerships. And that in reality, it's now showing that you, me, and every other pleb that's around is not worth a toss. And I really believe that. And Ten- I think it's happening. And I think this needs to change. We need to somehow, we need to somehow get a grip of this. Not you and me having a chat on the radio. Yeah. We need to somehow get a grip of this and form uh, some sort of alliance that pulls this back. And the only way you're going to do that is by forming a political party. That can get into power. That can change the rules and regulations and laws of that country. So it's a long road. It starts now. It okay, start Terry. Now. Whichever colour or persuasion you want that political party to be, I suggest something neutral down the middle. It has to be done and supported for the for the benefit of us all. Okay, well, look, we've gone well over the hour. So um, with that in mind, I'll look out for that type of material uh, to even maybe look into that a bit further. So well, what... with this, I'll have a chat with him. With, your, with his permission, I'll, I'll, I'll send, I won't do anything without his permission, but I can send you his, his case in particular. Because I've known him for quite a long time. I know he struggles. Yeah. And he's really been kicked in the teeth by this massive company. Completely kicked in the teeth. Because why? Um, you're now a pensionable age. You're no longer a member of the company. Ta-da. All right. Well, actually, not even a ta-da. You know, that'd be nice. We could maybe discuss that on a one-off. Terry, we have to finish. Yep. Um, so thanks once again. And we've got a mission to try and complete. Let's do it. Thoroughly enjoyed it, Vince. Thanks, Terry. Cheers, Vince.